If you have investments or you've consumed any news content in the last few years, you are probably familiar with the acronym ESG. Environmental, social, and governance criteria are popular among investors who want to ensure their funds are being used in a sustainable way. For most of us, when we think about sustainability, our minds go to the environment. In fact, your mind might go to one specific sector, oil and gas. But there's more to sustainability and ESG than those two things. In today's episode, I'm talking to Chris Kolink, an ESG professional who specializes in commercial real estate. In 2021, Corporate Nights named Chris a top 30 under 30 sustainability leader. And he's joining us today to explore the challenges and the opportunities that come with real estate. How can today's investments make tomorrow's buildings better? And how can we all contribute? Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Meg. Really excited to be here today. Great. Well, I'm excited to have you. I think to start, let's talk about your role as an as a consultant for real estate investors. Who are your clients and why are ESG criteria so important to them? Sure. Yeah, so just by way of background, um, I'm a managing consultant at a firm based in London, UK called Evora Global. And we're a real estate, sustainable real estate consultancy firm uh, with clients globally, primarily in Europe. Um, but we have offices in New York City, um, India, and a partnership in Singapore. So we're really global. In terms of who our clients are, they're real estate investors, fund managers, asset managers. So really big companies who own commercial real estate. And when we say commercial real estate, we're talking about the four uh, food groups, as we say in the industry. So retail, industrial, office, and multi-unit residential buildings. Um, and these you know, large uh, real estate owners, they'll have their own investors, their own boards. Some companies are public, so they'll have um, different shareholders who all have different demands um, of these companies. So in terms of why ESG criteria is becoming more and more important to these companies, one, those investors who I just mentioned are demanding more kind of transparency, ESG disclosure from these companies. They want to ensure that anything that they're investing in, you know, does have an ESG screening process. They're responsible. Um, they're not greenwashing, so they're not making false claims about sustainability. Um, so that just in general kind of investment, responsible investment, that's becoming uh, a bigger trend, a bigger driver. So a lot of our clients are getting questioned by their investors more and more, you know, What's your ESG policy? What's your process for calculating your emissions? Um, show me your reporting methodology. Whereas before, kind of the investor demand or ask for much lighter. So that gives us um, a lot of good work to help our clients with. Also, ESG criteria becoming more important for our clients because of different regulatory and societal factors. Obviously, from society, which kind of uh, links into the investor demand point. You know, with the different COP conferences, uh, protests globally, the the world is becoming more environmentally knowledgeable and conscious, and that in turn is affecting consumer choices and where people are spending their money. So that kind of plays into it. But from a regulatory side as well, um, governments are starting to become slightly more stringent on what buildings need to do uh, in terms of sustainability. So. I, I'm currently based in London, UK and Europe. Uh, buildings are labeled with energy performance certificates. So they it's public knowledge how well they're performing in terms of their energy consumption. 
in Canada, that's not quite uh, mandatory yet, but it, it could come into place. But um, governments, like many across Europe, do have certain programs or regulations in place that um, make companies disclose their performance. So that's another driver as well. So lots going on, and I just anticipate that the trend will continue to increase and companies will continue to have to disclose more. Yeah, that's all really interesting. And like you said, a lot going on there, a lot of different reasons to care about being sustainable in your real estate investments. Um, and something that I wanted to touch on um, is, is that most of the focus on uh, most of us focus on the environment when we think about sustainability. Our, our minds really go there. But when we first spoke, you talked a lot about the S in ESG, social. What does a socially sustainable building look like? Mm -hmm. Great question. I think that's becoming a bigger part of the conversation is not just the E, as you say, but the S. So a socially responsible building or when we talk about social well-being or social value in the industry, one of the first big things is health and well-being. So from a building perspective, how is the building supporting the health and well-being of the occupants? So what's the daylighting of the building? How much natural light is it getting? What's the indoor air quality? Um, does the building provide access to healthy food? Is there um, sustainable transport options connected to the building? So those are all different factors that play into the health and well-being component Obviously, because of COVID-19, that's also been pushed a lot for healthy buildings in the industry. Um, Pre-COVID, so, you know, very early 2020 and 2019 and before, um, health and well-being was definitely taking off in the industry. But after COVID and during COVID, I think that's just been pushed a lot more. One way we're seeing that is through health and well-being building certification. So many people are probably familiar with LEED, leadership in energy and environmental, des environmental design, which is a green building certification used globally, but very much so in North America and in Canada. That's a green building certification. So it looks mostly at environmental factors, but also some social factors. But now on the market uh, for the past few years, there are actually building certifications specifically for health and well-being. So those would be well and fit well. And we're starting to see more buildings being certified under those frameworks. So that just goes to show that there is um, some market demand to have healthy buildings. Uh, beyond health and well-being, when we talk about the S, that also includes community engagement and community development. So, you know, for certain buildings, do they, you know, have a, a role to play in the community? If it's a um, office space, retail space, do they offer some of that space to be used for community groups or gatherings? Um, commercial offices, do you host, you know, or display art from the local community? Little things like that kind of all add up to, to saying, you know, how, how does my building support social value? And I guess kind of the last factor when we talk about the S is, you know, just job creation created through building. So obviously with real estate, you have physical places where people can work through offices, but also you're, you know, creating jobs for construction and refurbishment. Again, those jobs also have an environmental impact, but starting to look at how does real estate support not only communities, but job creation and um, the ability for jobs to operate in, in a current space. So that's kind of a newer metric that um, we're starting to look at in the industry as well. So yeah, social is big, I think for environmental, energy, water, waste, carbon, 
very quantitative, easy to measure. On the S, some of these factors are more qualitative and a bit harder to measure at times, but we are seeing you know, more demand on the S. So I think there'll just be, again, kind of more of a focus on that going forward. Right. Um, the focus on the social side of things uh, really seems like a natural progression after the last couple of years. Um, and, and I think that that's really, I think that's really great that uh, we've kind of moved beyond um, these environmental factors uh, to include communities and supporting humans uh, as well. So the, the buildings that you focus on are commercial, um, and that means that people work uh, often work there. In the last two years, uh, people are more discerning about the companies that they work for. So I'm wondering, since your clients um, are, are people who want to create sustainable workplaces, do you have anything that we can look out for when we're searching for a conscious employer? Sure. So in terms of the actual office space that the employer would provide, you know, does it have a green building certification? Does it have a health and well-being certification? Um, that's kind of an easy first check to see is the space itself that the employer is leasing? Is it sustainable? Uh, I think that's a big thing. Also looking broader um, at the employer, you know, do they have any ESG commitments themselves? Do they have a net zero goal? These are other things that you can look for and that will kind of tie into the space that they lease as well. So, you know, every company is making a net zero commitment right now as they should be, but then kind of going forward and, and thinking, you know, my company is saying they're going to reduce emissions to zero by 2050, but which is, you know, a far, far amount of time away. You may or may not be working for that company <laughs> by 2050, but you know, what are they doing now to start reduce, reducing that? Are they implementing certain measures in their tenant space to reduce energy? Do they have interim targets? These are things that probably not every employee, employee asks, but if, if you're concerned about um, your employer's commitment and, you know, how the office space plays into that, those are different things that you can look at as well. And, and maybe going back to the S as well, um, in terms of the company itself, there's different certifications the company can receive. It could um, be certified as a B Corp or a benefit corporation. Um, so that's basically demonstrating that it provides a social or positive uh, impact to society. Uh, so that's one thing you can look out for. Um, as well, just equity, diversity and inclusion, of course, is also a very big um, factor in all of this. So looking at, you know, what is the board of my company? What what do the people look like? Who do they, do they represent? I know for me and many of my colleagues and peers, you know, when we're looking for opportunities, that's one of the first things uh, we look at, especially if we're diverse individuals ourselves. So that's another big factor, I would say. And um, companies are aware of it, but some are better than others at kind of, you know, representing um, people of different backgrounds throughout all levels of the company. So those, those are some high level things I think people can do to make sure that not just the workplace they're working in is sustainable, but that the company also supports sustainability from both an environmental and social perspective. Right. Those are some really good considerations. And I assume that um, if you were 
looking for uh, a new job or checking out a potential new employer, most companies should have these sorts of things listed on their careers page or maybe on their LinkedIn profile. Yes, exactly. They should. And um, if they don't or, you know, there are some glaring omissions, it should be pretty obvious. But um, yeah, most companies, you know, would have that on their website or, um, you know, any of their other information. It's just a matter of kind of going a step further and saying, okay, if they're committed to sustainability, what are they actually doing? Is this credible or is it kind of fluff as well? And, and you know, as an employee, you can also ask that in the interview to see, you know, how legitimate their, um, what they say online actually is. Mm, yeah, that's a great tip too, uh, to, to double check what they're saying. Um, so to end things, Chris, I would like to go back to the beginning in a way when you were studying environment and business at Waterloo. Um, you told me that you weren't really sure exactly what your career might be when you were a student. And I think that's a, an experience that a lot of people have. But in this sector in particular, in sustainability, it sounds like there are just tons of opportunities that are coming down the pipe, just so many coming in the future. Lots are, are, are being created right now. For current students or for those who are looking for a career change, where do you expect to see more growth? Yeah, for sure. So I think overall sustainability in general, super hot industry right now. Um, if you want a job within sustainability, uh, there has never been a better time, even with the recession happening slash looming. I'm still seeing job postings uh, within the industry. So it's quite healthy. And I'd say the because there's so much demand in the market um, for ESG professionals because of the investor pressure, because of increasing um, government regulation, etc. There's actually, um, you know, more demand than there is supply for um, people with ESG skills. So um, if you have those skills or want to get those skills, you'll be in, in high demand. Um, and in terms of the major growth areas, I say across the industry, you know, there's tons of opportunity. One thing that um, will always be valued, I think, is ESG professionals who are also experienced with data, data collection, data analysis um, within real estate, you know, any net zero targets, energy performance, water performance, even even their social metrics. Um, being able to collect data, but also analyze and understand the data is very important. So having those quantitative skills, you know, Microsoft Excel, sure, but anything beyond that is very important and valuable in the industry right now. You know, we t when we talk about way into the future, AI can automate that, sure, but you'll still need to be able to analyze and understand um, ESG data. I think that's central to, to being... Um, a strong ESG professional. Um, as well, anything on the policy side, I, I see a lot of demand for because uh, regulation is coming, you know, continuing to increase, but also there's all these different voluntary frameworks coming out um, that private sector just has a hard time keeping up with. So if you have some policy chops, you can understand uh, current regulation, forthcoming regulation, and all these other kind of voluntary frameworks and can advise on that, you, you'll be very well positioned as well. So that's another area. And then in terms of actual jobs, um, I'm a consultant. If In terms of ESG consulting roles, I think there will always be um, quite a lot of opportunity there. Some companies can 
afford to hire their own internal sustainability teams. Um, but more often than not, they'll have to hire consultants just for more specialized expertise or because they don't have in-house staff. So I think that's a great place for someone to start. Um, albeit consulting can be uh, busy and stressful at times. It is a great learning opportunity. And then on the client side within corporations, there will be more jobs, I think, in sustainability across the various industries. But I think there will always be some more jobs um, on consulting or kind of external to the client side. So that's, that's what I would say. And um, really, it, 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 there's not a better time to get into the field. When I started my degree in 2011, I would tell people I'm studying sustainability and they'd say, yeah, that's like, that's good. That's cute. That'll be um, useful someday. And, and that day is here now. Within the last uh, two years, we, you know, with um, obviously the, the effects of climate change continue to accelerate, but with all these companies making net zero pledges, uh, net zero goals and whatnot, uh, the demand for these jobs is finally here and investors are actually paying attention to these things and um, asking more questions for, for from different companies. So um, it's not just a cute idea to get to protect the environment and get into an environmental role, but there actually is real demand and uh, real dollars here at play. So it's a fantastic opportunity to have an impact, but also grow your skills at the same time. Mm, yeah, uh, I love that last point. Um, I think that, uh, you know, a, a lot of people go into programs like the one that you studied uh, because of their the care and concern they have for our environment. But it's also great to hear that um, that like they're, they're going to get a job <laughs> at the end of this, too, and that the opportunities are, are really great. Chris, thanks so much for joining the podcast. It's been a, a pleasure to speak with you and learn more about how real estate works uh, with sustainability um, and how we can create a more sustainable future. Yeah, I really enjoyed this, Meg. And thanks so much for having me. And hopefully our listeners uh, got something out of it as well. So thanks again. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, follow, subscribe, whatever your podcast player lets you do. And if you want to meet more fellow alumni, follow us on social media. There are links to all of our pages in the episode description. It's a great way to find more content, perks, and events for alumni around the world. You Waterloo alumni podcasts are produced and hosted by me, Meg Vanderwood. All episodes are edited by Aju Chow. Aju and I are both alumni and staff at the University of Waterloo.